0: Hi, this is the podcast channel of Lighthouse Church in Ottawa, Canada. We are a family. We don't do life alone. We are about the one, each and every one. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Our hope and prayer is always for life change. Here is today's message. Be blessed as you listen. All right, Philippians 3, from verse 3 to 9. The Bible says this, I read NKJV first and then I read NLT. It's, it's that good. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Paul is talking to the Philippians here. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ, yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my lord for whom i have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that i may gain christ and be found in him not having my own righteousness which is from the law but that which is through faith in christ the righteousness which is from god by faith i want to read nlt because i think that it's very complimentary and it gives us a better understanding From verse 3 again, NLT. It says, "For just you can follow me, that's fine. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Though, I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. In other words, if people could boast If there is any justification at all, ever, for boasting, I have a justification. I was circumcised when I was eight days old, according to to the covenant that God gave to Abraham. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, (laughs) no no mixed breed, a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for all that you have done for us. Every time we come into your presence, it's not a ritual. We don't come without understanding. We come knowing that we've come to meet with the Holy One, the One who's the Father of Spirits, the One who can do all things, the One who loves us so much that He gave His Son for us. And so, Father, we've come and we've gathered unto you today. We ask for your presence to be with us. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you breathe upon your Word today. You'll give us understanding hearts in the name of Jesus. Let this word mix with faith in our hearts. Let our hearts be fruitful soil, be good soil that would bring forth much fruit, oh God, a hundredfold return in the name of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, I ask for your help. Give me utterance, give me the ability to teach, to speak only the words that you would put in my mouth today. Come on, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. Amen, and amen, and amen, and amen, and amen. And amen. The title of my talk today is, Where is Your Confidence? Where is your confidence? Can you help me ask someone before we even get started? Can you just get in someone's business already? Where (laughs) is your confidence? Ask someone where. I I, I need an answer. You need to let me know where is your confidence. I remember vividly um, many years ago, this is my undergrad days, my third year, Of undergraduates in university. I was, these were my engineering days. I remember that we had a midterm exam of some sorts in a particular class. And this particular class, um, it was notorious for being a very difficult course, you know, as you get, you know, through the years, especially if you're studying an engineering um, degree or engineering major, it gets more difficult. So you, you advise people to get your A's. Okay in your first year and your second year, because you might have some dilution as you get into your third and fourth year. This course was no joke. So I remember that there was, an, there was a midterm exam that we were supposed to have. And I grabbed my study buddy, um, Elijah. Elijah was a guy who knew, he taught me how to study all night. I didn't understand that people actually did that until I met this dude. So we went in the library. We had our corner in the library where we hung out at that point. Um, and we started to study. I think it was my fourth year, actually. We started to study. We studied through the night, through the night bad habit days. We'll study through the night around 3 a.m. We'll get out of the library. There was a McDonald's that was just down the street from our school library. We'll grab, um, the double quarter panda with cheese. Don't judge me. We eat that at 3 a.m. in the morning and go back to the library and continue studying. It was a mess, but this was, the, this is what happened. Real true story. I remember we studied all night, finished in the morning, literally just had enough time to go home, you know, shower. So you could just be awake, chug down some Red Bull, um, those days I was in a coffee drinker. It was a Red Bull that we, we had, and I showed up to class, and we wrote the exam, and it was it went well. Um, obviously, I put in the work. Came out of the exam hall. We're hanging out in the hallway. Um, my friend Elijah was still writing, and I was out in the hallway. But I, I kind of understood from the body language of the people, like colleagues, co you know classmates, that something was off. Right. I felt good about the exam. I knew I'd done well. You know, sometimes you take a test and you just know, eh, worst case scenario, I'll get a B or something. So I knew I'd done well. I came out and everyone just seemed oddly chipper. Like, you know, one's eyes one's eyes were red. I was here like I needed a bed, like urgently. Everyone was really excited. We were like, oh, you know, we're going to go to the calf. We're going to go. Do-. I'm like, what's going on here? This is strange. Um, And so I proceeded to ask some questions like, hey, so how did it go? And you're like, oh, no problem, it went well. It was exactly what we expected. I'm like, what do you mean it was what you expected? So apparently, some people had done some homework. They discovered that this particular professor had a pattern where every other year he would repeat. So he would (laughs) alternate. So he wouldn't repeat questions from the previous year, but from two years ago. But he did not know that people had figured that pattern out. So a couple of people in the class already figured the pattern out. They went back a couple years, got the questions, pre-answered everything, <laughs> they studied only that portion of the of the work, came and they just copied and pasted it from their heads. And they were done. Most of them were done in 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. I was there laboring for like 45 minutes and then I came out. And I was so angry. I was I was depressed. I was like, so you mean to tell me I did not need to be at the library all night? You mean to tell me that there was a shortcut to this exam. I wasn't pleased at all. I almost felt like telling the professor, look, these people had <clears throat> prior knowledge of the questions you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna ask. I need an asterisk beside any grade you give me because I did the real work, whereas they, t- they took the shortcut. I was not pleased at all. I don't know about you, but have you ever experienced a situation where you feel like or you felt like someone took a shortcut when you took the longer route? Have you ever <laughs> struggled to achieve something? And someone just, you know, circumvents the process, as it were, and just comes and says, voila, it's all done. And it's, I mean, these were my pre-Jesus days. But in my mind, I was kind of hoping that it would all fail, right? It doesn't make no sense. I, I felt cheated. I felt bad about the situation. It made me so angry. It, it, it's human nature, by the way, where you feel like if I put in work, everyone else should put in work. Um, if I put in a lot of hours to achieve something, then everyone else should ach- should put in a- as much to achieve it. I mean, think about doctors, for example, and every doctor <laughs> goes to school for like, I don't know, maybe 10 years. That's from university, right? Most of us, four, four years, you're done. If you're really ambitious and a really st- serious person, you probably do a grad course, you do another two years, six, you're done. If you're really, really, um, you know, <laughs> if you're really sly, you go do it in the UK, you probably do it in one year, five years, you're done you have people who are in school and then they have to specialize, depending on their specialization, it can go as much as 10 years, sometimes even more, I'm told. I don't know if that's true, but I've heard that it could be even more than 10 years. Studying to earn a degree as a doctor. And here you are, you study like, I don't know, I was going to mock some courses, but I'm not going to mock anyone because someone might be listening to me right now in Singapore and say, that's exactly what I'm studying. Well, you studied something. um, for Four years, you got out of university, you got a job, you started some business, business grew, expanded, you got some money, and then you donated some money to some schools, and then they come and they give you an honorary doctorate degree, and then they call you doctor. And medical doctors are so mad. They're like, look, do you know what it takes <laughs> to earn the title of doctor? But you just came and they just gave it to you. They just they just gave you a degree as a doctor. That's how human nature is. We don't like it when we have to pay a huge price for something and other people have or find a shortcut. Um, oh, this one makes Bookie so angry. Um, sales. When she goes to the mall and she buys something, and then just to check on the internet like a couple weeks later, and the same exact item you bought, is now ninety percent off on clearance, and she's like, "No, I'm going back. I want my money. I want my money back." And I'm like, "Why are you so sorry Let let the people who get the discount get the discount." But this is how we are as human beings. So I buy a pair of Converse today, hundred and twelve dollars, hundred and fifteen dollars, and then I see it on sale next week for forty nine dollars. For some reason, you just feel cheated. Am I alone in this, or does this make any sense? Does this resonate with anyone at all? But listen to me. This principle. Right is the background, is the, is the foundation to the most contentious issue in all of the New Testament. When you read the New Testament, the most controversial issue, the, the, <laughs> the significant bone of contention, the cause of dispute, every time, every time, literally every time that there was a heated argument in the New Testament, it had to do with this issue. From the death of Jesus, and when you read from Acts all the way through the Epistles, It was one issue that was the bone of contention. And it was this, that it was offensive to the Jews. It was was maddening to them that you could possibly say (laughs) that you are made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ and by the grace of God. What does that even mean? Do you understand that there are 600 plus laws that I've been trying to keep my whole life? Do you understand that there was a babe who belonged to another you know, country who was not Jewish, that I was forbidden. I could not have a relationship with her. I couldn't marry the one I, I really loved. This thing cost me love because of the Jewish customs and the law. Do you understand that I was circumcised on the eighth day, like my private parts were chopped off or something. Well, not chopped off, hopefully not chopped off, but chopped, partially chopped. You know, like, do you know the price I've had to pay to be considered a Jew who is a, you know, who has a relationship with God. Now you come from nowhere and say, just put your hand on your heart and say this prayer after me. It was maddening. They wanted to kill anyone who would say or suggest such a thing. It's the same concept. It costs so much. You couldn't eat this, you couldn't wear this, you couldn't go or speak to this. There were a bunch of festivals. Bringing goats and sheep and sacrificing all this sin offering, trespass offering, wave offering, burnt offering, peace offering, all kinds of offerings that I had to do or to participate in just to be made right with God. And you're telling me not to talk about the Ten Commandments, you know, and all the other commandments as well. You're telling me now that you Gentiles are just going to show up and say, by faith, I pledge allegiance to the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's okay. No. They could not understand that. It made them so upset. In other words, they were thinking, where was this grace all along? Are you trying to tell me that our entire life experience, our history, all right, with our forefathers and everything we went through was just a metaphor, was just a teaching aid to to do what exactly? This could not be understood. And that's why even as people became Christians, Gentiles became Christians the Jews would continue to tell them, you need to be circumcised. Continue to tell them, well, you need to keep the law of Moses. And this was the most contentious issue in all of the New Testament, was Paul and and the likes went about telling people, no, absolutely not, you don't have to do that. But you can understand why this was an issue, though, because you're not only telling me that by putting your faith in Jesus and the grace of God, you are made right with God. You're telling me that you actually have something better than what I have, By all my righteousness, by keeping all the laws to the best of my ability, you're telling me that now you can even call yourself a son of God, which I never could do. You're telling me now that God lives in you, which he never did. You're telling me that the Holy Spirit is here to lead you, which he never did for us. How does this make sense? They felt. These guys are completely out to lunch. Every time they would tell people, yes, you've accepted Jesus, that's fantastic, you're a Christian, whatnot, but you need to be circumcised. And Paul and the like, and you saw that in Romans, you saw it in Galatians, you saw it everywhere. Every time you read all the the epistles, you found this particular theme where Paul is suggesting, in some cases more violently than others like in Galatians, he's suggesting that you do not need (laughs) to engage these people in conversation. Just take the grace of God that God has given to you and run with it. But this grace made people so mad. Made people so mad. Circumcision was a sticking point for them. You know, like they thought about circumcision, like if, think about this, circumcision came to the Jews before the law of Moses. Okay? So let's even assume that you guys are not going to keep the law. I mean, at the very least, be circumcised because this was given to Abraham, the father of faith, way before Moses. This was the first thing that God handed, the first token of the covenant was circumcision. So they would go about telling the churches you know, in Philippi, the churches in Colossae, the churches in Thessalonica, Ephesus, be circumcised, or else you're not really accepted by God. And those guys got confused. Like, is this true? Do we really need to be circumcised? Like, Imagine being circumcised as an adult. And Paul would write a letter saying, absolutely no, over my dead body, this would never happen. And he, in some cases, more violent than others. But the idea was we have paid a huge price to be considered God's people. There are a lot of things we could never do. I've been tithing since I was 12. I've been giving first fruits. Okay. I keep the Sabbath. I want to work on weekends. I couldn't work. I could, make, I've made more, I could have made more money. And now you guys come here and tell me that grace and faith and it's all good. It just made no sense to them. Where was this grace the whole time? When you start from nothing. You were homeless, you worked really hard, and you built your wealth with your, you know, the good old-fashioned way. You worked long hours, took odd jobs when you were in t- your teenage years, you started a business, worked 70, 80 hours, 90 hours a week, you built an empire for yourself. Now, you're 30 years old and you come in contact with someone, you know, you've got some money now, you're on vacation at the Hamptons, because <clears throat> that's what we do now. And you meet someone on the beach, and yeah, I was like, oh yeah, you know, um, you know, I dabble in oil and gas and all that. And you're like, oh, tell me your story. He's like, well, my dad, <laughs> my dad was rich, so I inherited the world. You just want to slap him and knock the teeth out of him. I'm like, you mean you you got all this money? And guess what? Most times they're richer than you. It's like he's a billionaire. You're like you're struggling with your few millions here and there. That's the way human beings are. Like, how do you get something that I work so hard for, and get it so easily? That's called grace. Grace is an equalizer. So listen to me. Listen to me. And don't lose the spirit of the conversation I'm having with you this, this this morning. Paul he is making an argument saying that look, if it's by works, if it's by the things that we've done, then no one more than me can be more qualified. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, I'm a pure blooded Israel, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Pharisee, the strictest sect in Israel. That's who I was. I persecuted the church. I was zealous for God. Concerning the law, he said, perfect. But he said, look, if I put my confidence in these things and expect that those things are going to make me right with God, I will be disappointed. In other words, I can put no confidence in anything that I do by myself to make me right with God. Zero confidence in the flesh whatsoever Zero confidence in the flesh whatsoever. What makes grace even more of an amazing concept is the fact that this. So, think about a person like Paul. Paul was a guy who was almost perfect according to Jewish customs, all right? Based on his words. Anyway, let's take his word for it. now, imagine that there was another guy, another Jewish guy, who was like, he was just sleeping with girls from other other countries. He was he was eating all the things that God forbid them to eat. He worked on, sab, on the Sabbath day. He never paid his tithe, but he was circumcised. So he did just a, little, just a little bit, but he kept the majority of the laws. He completely broke everything. Do you know that when grace is introduced into the equation, both of those people are equalized? Just because you were almost there, and this guy that was so far off, grace does not make you better when both of you receive this grace it makes you exactly the same and so this is one of the reasons why people even feel more cheated like oh my god and please don't deny it some of us you probably thought at at some point oh i should have done a lot of bad things if i knew that you know the grace of god was available to me i would just come i just claim the grace of god and it's all good all my sins are wiped away all things have become new that was some of the, the, the the thought process that was behind how people thought about grace like this is not fair. There is nothing fair about grace. Aren't you glad that there's nothing fair about grace? Okay, because if it was fair, you and I would not even have any standing to begin with. No standing whatsoever. The grace of God, it's an equalizer. It's, a, it's weighty. It has substance. It has value. It has so much value. That it will take someone that had zero and someone that had 100 and it will make you the same. That's why God, whenever God wants to use a person, He doesn't look for the best people. Have you realized that about God? Why? Because He knows that all I need to introduce into the equation is grace. You can be the most incompetent person ever, like Moses, the most incompetent. Nothing about Moses said leader. Think about it zero. There was nothing about Moses that said leader. He wasn't charismatic. He wasn't hiding. He wasn't particularly brave, all right? He was a stutterer. He didn't understand people management. This guy almost killed himself how he was managing the people. it required advice from his father-in-law to understand that he was doing something wrong. He had a temper. There was nothing about him that said leader. But God says, yeah, that's the guy I want, grace. Once God adds grace to the equation, you become enough. You become sufficient. You become able to do whatever it is that God has called you to do. And this concept of how you have, you know, Faith for salvation and grace of God combined is the same principle for everything that God will give you in life and God would ever do with you. The same principle is that you can try your works, you can try your efforts all you want. And if you put your confidence in the flesh, you will be disappointed more times than you know. You know, as I was thinking about it, I was meditating on the fact that... um, when when Elizabeth was saying to me that grace is an equalizer, and I started to I started to meditate on that, what does that really mean? And and an analogy came to mind. Okay, so think about it this way. If you had now let's use let's use money, okay, because the Bible often talks about the riches of His grace. Let's it, I think it's an understandable analogy. If if you have two people, all right, like myself and Toby, all right, Toby the apostle. I don't have a lot of money, all right? So let's say I have $5, that's it, my net worth is $5. My assets minus my liabilities, what I have left is $5 in the bank, no debt for $5. And then you have Toby, who's of course a very rich guy. He has like, I don't know, let's call it five million net worth, all right? So you have these two people, I'm sure you can understand that from five to five million, that's a million times more, right? In terms of value, a million times five is five million. So he's a million times better off than me. Now, when grace comes into the equation, you'll be surprised that the five million and the five dollars become immediately equal just because of the share value, the share weight of what grace brings to the equation. So let's assume that grace is worth like five trillion dollars. Now, if you give me five trillion dollars, so I'll be worth five trillion and five? all right and you give to five trillion dollars so he will work five trillion and five million do you know that that's exactly that's the same thing that means there's absolutely no difference when you introduce such a huge factor into the equation there is no difference if you if you were to approximate or round it up they're going to round it up to five trillion there is no way to round up five trillion when you introduce five million to the equation that makes it different from a person who has five dollars in other words what you brought to the table No matter how good, how smart you are, you're eloquent, you're from a posh family, you study really hard. Everything that you have in the physical, once God brings grace into the equation, it makes it completely insignificant, infinitesimal. It makes it nothing. It's a dot or a drop of water in the ocean when you compare it to the riches of God's grace. So when we get, you know, all arrogant and proud about the things that we've been able to do by our own strength and our own power, It's because you don't understand grace. Once grace comes on board, everything changes completely, completely. We are all equal. We are all equal. And the Jews didn't like that. The Jews didn't like that. So he was saying to them, the meat of this was that, look, put no confidence in the flesh. That you get circumcised, that means you're putting your confidence in the flesh. That you do one thing, you observe festivals, and you, you know, you do all these other things that were, you know, ceremonial things that were in line with the Jewish custom. He said, you are putting your confidence in the flesh. You need to take your confidence from the flesh and put it in something else, in God. Most times, it looks like this. Faith and grace. Faith in God and the grace we receive from God. Can you put that in in the chat? Faith in God and grace from God. Faith in God and grace from God. They didn't like it at all. So if you don't like that, you don't like the fact that there's something called grace that can come upon someone and everyone should just earn by their own merit. I mean, I really work hard. I should get promoted. I really, you know, I put in my best. I should be the person who becomes CEO the fastest. Amongst all, my, all my friends were, you know, they were going to clubs. I was studying late nights and all that stuff. And you want your works to get you there you will opt out of grace. And what would happen is that you will be disappointed because you put your confidence in the flesh. And anyone who is smart enough to put their confidence in God will overtake you by grace, and you will be more salty. Have you ever seen that before where you saw people that were like, you said, oh, I I did better than this person. I was, you know, I did much better. I put in more effort, and the person just seems to be taking off. Oh, I taught her everything she knows, and the person seems to be taking off. It's because they have decided to rely upon the grace of God which can carry them really, really far. So for the salvation project, it's grace. God used grace as an equalizer. And for everything else that God would do in your life, and I said to us a few weeks ago that your life is a project of God. Every assignment from God will require grace. Listen to me. Every assignment from, except if it doesn't require grace, it means it wasn't God that sent you. And your life, your very life, forget about the specifics, your very life is a project from heaven. You will require grace to fulfill your destiny. You will require grace to fulfill your destiny. So Paul, after his boasting, said, look, I put no confidence in the flesh at all because he had tasted both sides. He had seen the side where he did all the work, like he said, of the stock of Israel. I kept all the law and all that. And he he had also seen the other side. And he had seen how much speed, how much he'd been able to do when he relied upon the grace of God than when he relied upon his own works. And someone is thinking to themselves right now, so pastor, are you saying we should just forget about everything and not put in any effort at all? And it's just going to be the grace of God that's going to carry us and so on and so forth. That's absolutely not what I'm saying. Let me tell you this. There is a place for natural principles, there's a place for spiritual principles. But what you must understand is that spiritual principles would always trump natural principles. And because life is spiritual, you can have no confidence in in physical things. Say that again. Say it really fast. Because life is spiritual, life is not physical, life is spiritual. You can have no confidence whatsoever. In physical things your confidence must be in the spirit realm which is the source realm and which is in god so that you can influence your physical god put natural laws in place but at the same time when you look at the scripture you see miracle after miracle and a miracle is pretty much when god circumvents or breaks a natural law god puts gravity in place god put the you know the motion of the sun and the motion of the planets around the sun and all that in place but then joshua came and said son stand still okay? <laughs> I'm telling you that there is a superior dimension. And if your life, I remember my passage, to told me this, that like, if your life is only a function of the things that your energy and your strength has brought to you, your life is devoid of grace. If all you have to show is that, oh, I studied really hard, I worked really hard, and I got this promotion at work. If that's all you have is your hard work got you this, and your effort got you that, this, number one, it's probably because you're arrogant, because you don't understand that you could have studied really hard, you could have worked really hard, you could have fallen sick, all right? There are people who were like better candidates in the office, and they took ill, and they had to go on extended leave, and all of a sudden, the position became available, and you, who was not the best candidate, you stepped into the role. You studied for an exam all night. What if you did not wake up in the morning to take the exam, or what if you woke up and you were paralyzed? Those are the little things that we don't think about, and we start to say, well, I did my best. It was me. It was me. My work carried me through. And Paul started to talk like that. He said it in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, look, I am what I am, by the grace of God. Everything I am has, is by the grace of God. Then he starts to say, the grace of God towards me was not in vain. First Corinthians 15 and verse 10, I believe. He says, because I labored. So that's the work. That's your effort. I labored more than all the other apostles. But then he says, nevertheless, not I, but the grace of God in me. So think about it. I am what I am by the grace of God. I labored, eh, but not me, the grace of God. So it's more grace than labor is what I'm trying to tell you. It's more grace than labor. As a matter of fact, when you labor with the right understanding, with your confidence in God, grace is multiplied to you. With the right understanding. With the right understanding. With the right understanding. I labored more than they are, but not I, but the grace of God. There are people who would study more than you studied, but would not understand half as much as you understand. I hope you know that. How do you take credit for that? How do you take credit for that? That there are people who are smarter than you, but are not where you are today. There are people who you know, put in more work than you've ever done, but haven't had the opportunities that you've had. How do you take credit for that? How do you take credit for that? So think about your life now. Now I want to stimulate your thoughts a little bit. What are the various areas of your life? Think about your career. Think about your spiritual life, even your walk with God. (laughs) Think about your business or your family. You know, your marriage, your raising children. All right, think about your relationships, your family. Think about your health. Think about all the meaningful areas of life. And my question to you is where is your confidence? Where do you put your confidence? Do you put your confidence in God or do you put your confidence in yourself? There are many things we put our confidence in. And as uh, as I was thinking about this, this, this sermon for a couple couple weeks, I was thinking about the fact that wow. There's so many things I put my confidence in. Are we're going to do an exercise right now in the chat. Okay, so just start to think. What are some of the things that we put our confidence in as people? I'll give you one. Put our confidence in our skills. Okay, put it in the chat. What are some of the things that we put our confidence in, in very different areas of our lives? Think about that and put it in the chat. We can go as much as 15 or 20. We put our confidence in skills. That's what I'll give you, for one. You think because I have the skills, I have the experience, you know, the Bible says that those that trust in the arm of flesh or trust in chariots and horses, it's a metaphor for your skill, for tools. You know, after your name, there's so many, you know, alphabets after your name. M, B, A, B, B something, D D F XYZ, And you put your confidence in skills. What are the things you put your confidence in? Someone said money. Someone said your savings. Of course, when your savings account is fat, you feel very comfortable. You're bouncing up and down the streets of Ottawa. Absolutely. Someone said parents. Yes. People, your education. What about your experiences? You're applying for a new job. You look at the experience. You say, hmm. I have this. I have this. I have this. I have this. I have that. Hmm. This would be a good one. I should get this job. And you apply. And immediately you apply. Have you ever applied for a job? And within 10 minutes, you get a rejection email. <laughs> We're we are sorry to let you know. <laughs> and you're like, what? I met all the criteria. Your, your intellect and knowledge. You put, your, you put your, your hopes in money, all right? Sometimes you put your hopes, even your, your confidence in strategy. This one I was thinking about, you know, look at our, about this. We're, we're trying to build our church building and, you know, we have all these grand plans and we do this, we do this, we do this, we do this. And I'm thinking, okay, put all these plans aside. Can we talk to the Lord first? Sometimes we put our hopes in strategy. You have such a great plan on paper that that's your hope and that's where your confidence is. <laughs> Someone said in Pastor. <laughs> <laughs> Pastor himself is putting his hope in, in another, in God. <laughs> All right? Yeah. We put our hopes in a lot of. Where is your confidence? Is if, if your confidence is in anything that has its source in this earthly realm, you have misplaced your confidence. You have misplaced your confidence. You've misplaced your confidence. People, strategy. There is something that you are required to do. God will not do what you should do. So that's a place for your own part. And you definitely can't do what God should do. I'll say that again. God will not do what you should do. And you surely cannot do the part that God needs to do. God will never make you self-sufficient. Understand that. Read your scriptures. He will never make you self-sufficient in Anything, your sufficiency must be in Him. And yes, you will, He will give you gifts. He'll give you all these things that we talked about. But most times we deviate. We shift our focus from Him to those things. Oh, how confident you feel when you have you know, a good paying job. And you say, well, no worries. Anything shows up. We'll be fine. We'll take care of it. You know, it's all good. You don't remember that it's God that makes everything possible. God will not do what you should do. I remember my son comes to me, you know, all the time. I'm both of them, they're like, Daddy, carry me. They just raise up their hands. I'm like, Okay, sure, I'll carry you. And so when I, when I, when, when, when he, you know, hands raise, obviously the sign of surrender, right? You know that. So when I carry him, when I carry him, he can do a lot of things that he naturally can't do by himself. So he can touch the ceiling, all right? His mom doesn't like that at all. Guys, we're playing rough. You know, when I carry him, you know, or when he's on his bike, you know, we're riding a bike, he can do like all kinds of wheelies and stuff that he naturally can do by himself, you know, because he yields. When I carry him, he thinks he's flying. I'm like, ooh, because he yields. He's put his confidence in me at that time. Not to say he has no ability of his own, but guess what? He can walk, he can run, he can do it, but he cannot touch the ceiling by himself. And that's how we are. There are a lot of things we cannot do by ourselves unless God helps you. And if it's a thing of destiny... You are surely handicapped. I assure you, you're handicapped. Think about David. I talked about Moses earlier. Think about David. I give you a second example in Bible. David. The Bible talks about David. David was better than Moses. David had leadership skills. Yes, he did. He had emotional intelligence. He had a reputation. He was brave. He was a man of courage. He was skilled. The Bible describes him in the First Samuel 16 and 13 that he was skilled in playing, you know, music. He was a man of. He was handsome. He was good looking. But the Bible doesn't stop there. The end of that, the Bible says that, and the Lord was with him. That's the grace element. And the Lord, and that's why when you look at David, as gifted as he was, (coughs) excuse me, as gifted as he was as a person, right, when you look at David, see how he always surrendered to God. Always acknowledge God. Oh God, in you I put my trust. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. Where comes my help? My help comes from the Lord. He always even when he had the backing of an office of a king, he would always put his help and his hope in God. Be like David. <clears throat> Excuse me. I want to read a scripture to you. Second Chronicles thirty two. Okay, it's a story. Excuse me. It's a story of Hezekiah, who's a king. <clears throat> Excuse me. Just choking here. And another king called Sennacherib. Sennacherib is the king of Assyria, all right? Um, and Assyria is just emerging as a superpower. Assyria is, is a country that was just gaining strength, right? Um... And this story here is is, is, is is Assyria, led by Sennacherib, had conquered a bunch of different nations. They had, they had, um, thank you. You, you are wild. <laughs> thank you to my hospitality team for rescuing me. Um. From the scoff. All right, I was saying Assyria, stay with me, was a nation that had conquered a bunch of different people. They were brutal, very brutal, these guys. they were they were terrible. And in second chronicles thirty two, Assyria led by Sennacherib, the king comes up against Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the king of Judah. and he starts to make boasts against Hezekiah. He starts to threaten, The entire nation. By the way, there is a track record of how terrible Sennacherib is. I mean, and how he'd conquered a bunch of nations and the kind of evil, all right, and atrocious acts that they had done had decimated entire nations. So he had a track record. He had a track record. Hmm. And so they come against Judah. And Hezekiah is fearful. And that's the context here. So I'll read to you a few verses. Second Chronicles 32, I'll read verse 1 first. Then I'll jump to verse 7 and 8. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Bible says, after these deeds of faithfulness, it's talking about the faithfulness of Hezekiah, because he was a good king. Sennacherib, <clears throat> the king of Assyria, came and entered Judah. He encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them over to himself that's verse 1 verse 7 Hezekiah is responding to his people because they are fear they're, they're scared they're fearful now He said be strong and courageous Do not be afraid nor dismayed before the king of Assyria nor before all the multitude that is with him um so the came with an army of about 200,000 people, an army of about 200,000 individuals against Judah, against Jerusalem, all right? And he says, do not be dismayed, all right, by the multitude (laughs) that are with him, for there are more with us than with him. It says, with him is the arm of flesh. With him, remember this, is an arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. Think about someone who puts his confidence in God. With him is the arm of flesh. With us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. I jump to verse 10. This is Sennacherib now. He says, Thus says Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, in what do you trust that you remain under siege in Jerusalem? Does not Hezekiah persuade you to give yourselves over to die by famine and by thirst, saying, The Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria. He's mocking them. He's saying, what do you put your hopes in? Do you not know what I and my Father have done? This is verse 13 now. To all the peoples of other lands. In other words, let me show you my regimen. Let me tell you the things that we've done. Where the gods of the nations of those lands in any way were able to deliver them out of my hand. Who was there among all the gods of those nations? that my father utterly destroyed. In other words, he's telling telling him, look, we've done so much damage. Have you not heard about us? All these nations had gods too. So if you're putting your hopes in God, you're about to be disappointed. He says, now therefore, do not let Hezekiah deceive you or persuade you like this. And do not believe him. For no God, listen, no God of any nation or kingdom was able to deliver his people from my hand or the hand of my fathers. How much less... Will your God deliver you from my hand? Can you imagine such a statement? That was verse thirteen verse to 15. I read 20 and 21. It says, Now, because, the king, because of this, King Hezekiah and the prophet, thank God for the combination of the priesthood, of the prophetic, and the kingly office. The son of Amos, they prayed, and they cried out to heaven. Then the Lord sent one angel, an angel singular, who cut down every mighty man of valor, leader and captain in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned, shamefaced, to his own land. And when he had gone into the temple of his God, some of his own offspring struck him down with the sword there and there he died. So this guy was boasting. Boasting against God. Boasting against Judah. He came with an army of almost 200,000 people. And the Bible says that Hezekiah and Isaiah got together and they prayed. They prayed. Prayer, prayer, prayer is one of the ways in which we put our confidence in God. They prayed, and the Bible says, in one night, one angel, I told you before that life is spiritual. So if you put all your hopes in the physical, imagine who has a better chance of winning the battle. Israel did not even lose a single man. They did not have to fight because God fought for them because they put their confidence in the Bible says They prayed to God, and in one night, one angel went through the land the camp and killed 185,000 men of Sennacherib and he ran, he fled to his own country and there he was killed by a member of his own family so what is it that is boasting against you, think about the circumstances that face you right now, what are the circumstances that you are faced with that um, that are boasting against you, what are the things that are loud in your ear, loud in your mind, telling you this is what's going to happen to you, you would never have this, this would never happen, listen <laughs> When God is with you, you have all that you need. You just have to put your confidence in Him. So how do I do this, Pastor? I'm struggling. I, I, I struggle to do this. And a lot of us do, to be honest with you. Because I decided to think about this and I started to think about the little things. I take a lot of things for granted. A lot of things that I put my confidence in my plans and my strategies and, you know, my abilities, my skill sets. Whereas the Bible says that trust in the Lord with all your heart lean not on your own, doesn't say don't have understanding, Proverbs chapter 3 from verse 5, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. The first thing that you must do, if you claim to be putting your confidence in God, is to wait on him. Wait on him. Wait on him. Wait on him. Let me tell you this, friends, waiting on God is difficult because God doesn't come quickly. And I know that you don't, I don't like to hear that. But in your experience, you will tell me that it's true. You, you will confirm. God is a king. Like someone said, he shows up when he wants to show up. So if you can wait on God, he can show up next week and he can show up in seven months. But the thing is you must wait on him. And you cannot say you're waiting on God. I remember um, I remember the, during our Q&A Sunday, one of the Q&A Sundays, one of the questions that someone asked was, well, God, you know, I'm waiting on God, but then there's this guy that likes me now. Should I just assume that it's God or should I keep? And I said to you, keep waiting. If you're you're waiting on God, you keep waiting on God. What happens a lot of times is that we say we're waiting on God. It happened to me. It's happened to me many times. I say I'm waiting on God. I'm waiting on God to lead me. I'm seeking God's face. The moment God extends beyond my threshold of patience. (laughs) Come on now. Can we be real? Can we we be in church and be real here? The moment God just does not do anything within The time frame that I was expecting him to do something, I take matters into my own hands. And I say, well, God has given us common sense for a reason. That's a very good one that we use. (laughs) Common sense for a reason. Well, where was the common sense in the beginning when you said you were waiting on God? Wait on God. God does not come quickly all the time. Sometimes he will. Sometimes he will test your heart. Are you really waiting on me or not? Wait on God. The Bible says, They that wait upon the Lord, He shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like an eagle. You want to fly like an eagle? Understand that the eagle waits for the wind. The eagle does not move until he senses the wind. Then he spreads out. And then he can soar. He that waits upon the Lord shall renew them. Wait on the Lord. You want to show God that your confidence is in Him? Even though you think you have all those great plans and grand plans, you have bright ideas that this can happen for you now, just say, God, I'm trusting you. I'm seeking your face. I'm seeking your face. And in some seasons, like I said, God might not come quickly. You must be ready for the long haul. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Because if I say wait on God now, and you just leave it at that, you go and you wait on God for seven hours, and you say, God didn't say anything. Well, this must be God. Like Saul. Remember Saul? When he was supposed to wait for Samuel, and he delayed in coming, and the Bible says that he took matters into his own hands, That cost him his destiny. Wait on God. Can you please, please help me tell someone? Because someone right now needs to hear this. When I was praying this morning, this one was strong. It was like it was pounding inside my heart. Wait on God. Wait on God. Can you tell someone, wait on God? Wait on God. Relax. God is in control. Relax. God is in control. Those things that you've put your hopes in, (laughs) put them aside or submit them under God. Wait on God. The second thing that you must do to practically, practically place your confidence in God is that you must align with Him. Okay? You must align with Him. And what do I mean by that? You, you find an example of this in um, the story of Jesus at the wedding at the Cana wedding in Cana of Galilee. The Bible says Mary said to them, Listen, whatsoever he tells you to do, do it. That's alignment with God. You know how sometimes you say you're waiting on God, you've waited on God for a season, and then the thing that you feel like God is leading you to do, the direction, and how God is helping you in that season, you don't like it. I don't know about you, it's happened to me. I don't, God, I don't like this, this, this road you're taking me. I, I, I don't like it. And so because of that, you refuse to align with him. You break ranks. And that plan that you always had, anyways, that you kept under your you know your strategy book, and you were waiting that if God just doesn't say anything that makes sense, I will just do what I wanted to do the whole time. You break ranks with God, but you must align with Him. Whatever He tells you to do, do it. If you're saying that your confidence is in God, whatever He tells you to do, do it. Align with Him the whole way. You can't go halfway with Jesus and turn back. No, it doesn't work that way. You can't start out with God and end up with common sense. That's a recipe for disaster. Align with Him and go the distance with Him on all things. And I said on all things, on all things. You've just talked about things, your career, your business, your marriage. You want to get married, you're in a relationship. Don't, don't bank on the things you have going for you. The Bible says that the race is not to the swift. Oh, I have, I, I, you know, one of the benefits of being a pastor. Actually, I don't know if it's a benefit at all. Is that God would allow you go through certain things as um, <laughs> as teaching aids, so you can understand certain concepts. One of the things I've understood from walking with the Lord: the race is never to the swift. Never to the swift. I have memories. I remember a lot of things. I remember. I remember, you know, the the, the smartest and brightest people when we were in school. I remember. I remember them. I remember them, and I remember, and I see how when you spread your wings and wait for the wind, he can carry you higher than you can ever go in life. I've seen that. I've I've touched it. I know. I remember, you know, when we were we getting out of high school. Um, I remember, back in the day, I don't know, in Nigeria anyways, um, there was a book that w- we passed around the school, our graduating class then, you know, people wrote, I don't know, I remember what we call that book, you know, the most um, the most likely to succeed, you know, you put a name of person, you know, it paid for each person and there were about 10 or so questions where you had to put someone's name from the graduating class, uh, the most handsome, the most likely to get married, you know, after right after university, you know all this kind of crazy stuff that kids used to do back then. I remember the, you know, the most beautiful girl. You know, I remember just a couple of weeks ago there was this girl who like she was like the, the finest girl in our school back then in high school. Like she came to school and everyone broke up with their girlfriends and started chasing her. It was like that, right? We're young, we're like high school, right? And this was still the finest. I spoke to her a couple of weeks ago, and she's not married. And I was like, how do you how do you reconcile those things together? It makes no sense to me. Right? So there are things that you think that would give you confidence. Like, don't worry. I've got this, God. I assure you, (laughs) the horse is prepared for the day of battle. But victory is the Lord's. And I've seen unlikely circumstances turn out well because of the hand of God. I remember growing up, I've told you guys a story a lot of times, my parents... My dad was a professional, worked with a multinational company, did very well, became a CEO, country general manager for, for the company. But he traveled a lot for work when we were growing up, a lot. Like my dad would be gone. My dad had like got a new passport every seven to eight months because he was gone. Europe, Asia, Middle East, it was everywhere, all over Africa. Um, at a particular time, for a period of two and a half years, almost three years, my dad worked in a different country. And my, and my dad, my parents had five boys. So here you are, you have my mom with five boys most of the time, having to raise them, all right? Whenever my dad was around, he was a, <clears throat> my dad was a very absent presence. I don't know how to explain it. <laughs> he wasn't at home, but he, he was present. You know, you could feel like her. my mom mentioned his name. I said, I will speak to your dad about this issue. We just started to bribe her. We started to beg, right? Um, and my mom also was a professional. She became CEO of a company, worked for the you know, largest insurance company, In Africa um, at the time, I don't know if they still are. She she was a professional, and she had two businesses. She had a curtain business, and she had a hair salon. So my parents were very busy and very accomplished people. And she had to raise five boys. Most of the time, my dad wasn't around. Now, that is a recipe for disaster. But I remember vividly, my mom's confidence, even though she did not spare the rod, hallelujah, her confidence was not in anything else that they were doing. At night, she would come, and she would lay her hands on your head and blast thongs over you for. Hours, and I'm not kidding, if you see any of my brothers ask them, I mean for hours at night, 3 a.m. in the morning, she will speak tongues, prophesy over you, you will not be wayward, you will serve the Lord, you will know Jesus, blah, blah, blah. Oh, my God, I used to be so angry. I'm like, I was just having a good dream. Now, it has become a nightmare. (laughs) Prayers over us. I want to tell you that there were 101 ways that my life could have gone terribly bad i mean there were times when i tried myself to go in the other direction the invisible hand of god would always stare me back there are times when i fell off but god would never allow me fall too far off he would always pick me up it worked it worked because the confidence was not in any strategies it was just In God, And sometimes we feel like we only do that when we're in helpless situations, when we are hopeless, when you know that the issue before you is too much. Then we say, oh, God, my confidence is in you. But what about the times when you think you have the answer? And you do not bother to consult with God because you think you know. That's for someone. Sometimes it's not about the things you don't know how to do. It's in everything. Put the trust in God. Put your trust in God. Align with him. Number three, pray about everything. One of the ways you know that you're putting your confidence in God is that you pray. A lot of times you don't pray about certain things. So, for example, uh, someone was talking about your savings account being um, something we put our trust in. So, yeah, if something comes up, you don't even bother to pray anymore. God provide because you know that you have provision. You just take care of it. You You don't even bother to thank God that there was money in the savings account. Those little things are little acts of dishonor to God. We are taking God for granted. We're taking him for granted. Pray about everything. Whether you have a plan or you don't have a plan, whether you know what to do or you don't know what to do, just ask God. I committed before you. I place this into your hands, oh God. I place my family before you. I place my children before you. I place my career before you. I don't know what I don't know, but you know everything. That grace which is weighty, which is heavy, place it upon my life. And when grace gets involved, you will go farther than you can ever imagine beyond your wildest expectations, because it's not you. Just like my son, when I carry him up and he's touching the ceiling, it's not him. He knows it's not him. You should know that it's not you as well. Pray about everything. And lastly, give thanks for all things. This one I've been trying to practice all week. I started trying to remember all the little things that I forgot to say thank you to God for. For everything, give thanks. That's a way that you are practically showing that your confidence was in him. That I know that this came I know that I think that my network brought me this blessing. But no, it was you. It was you. If I didn't have favor with the people, this could never have happened. Think about the little things and give him thanks for it. Give him thanks. The things that you've despised, give him thanks for it. Sometimes God gives you things in seed format. Seed format. It's how you nourish. And one of the ways you you, you, you nourish the seed that God gives you is by watering it with thanksgiving. Thanking Him for the little things and it becomes a big thing in your hands. hands. Thank Him for all things. And for all of us right now, really, where we need to go today, just bow your heads and just start to thank the Lord for the little things in your life that you have looked over. The things that you've put your confidence in yourself. You didn't even bother to thank Him for that job. Or you only thanked Him once, even though you prayed for seven months and then you only gave thanks for one day. No, no, no. Remember, count your blessings. Name them one by one. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. Thank you for my relationship. Thank you for my children. Thank you for a blessing from God. Thank you for my career. Thank you for how you Can you just focus on the Lord and just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank him today. Thank him today. Thank him today. It's personal now between you and God. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe to our podcast channel. If you want to be a blessing to others, share the message. To stay connected, download our app and follow us on Instagram at Lighthouse Church Ottawa. We love you.